your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 89. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are bringing the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the past month, to be more specific, the month of August. We have a new sponsor that I want to tell everyone about. It's called Tweaked Audio. They produce quality and affordable earbuds and... By going to the website, thebatmanuniverse.net, you'll see a banner at the top of the page for Tweaked Audio, or you can head over to www.tweakedaudio.com, and when you are checking out, type in the promo code TBUSAVES in the promo code section, and you'll get 33% off your entire order and free worldwide shipping. So the uh, earbuds that they have there on their website are actually quite affordable we're talking about fifteen dollars and then with the thirty three percent off you get them for about ten dollars so if you are in the need for some new earbuds be sure to check out tweakedaudio.com we do have a bunch of news obviously the big news of the month has to do with movie news and the sequel to man of steel so we'll talk about that in just a second we do have a couple of episodes of beware the batman to talk about and a little bit more news about Batman Arkham Origins. We do have a bunch of listener Q&As, so let's get right into everything we got to do. So let's start off with movie news. World War III. Maybe I could have stopped it if I just ran a little faster. Faster! The speed force allows the reverse flash to travel through time. Change something in the past. We have to find out what he changed and change it back before they kill everyone on the planet. Well, first we're going to talk about Justice League Flashpoint because we really didn't talk about it the last time. It has released, it released the end of July. And as you're listening to this, we actually have already posted our commentary for Justice League Flashpoint. So that's available on the website for you guys to check out. But let's talk about Justice League Flashpoint now that there's been a little bit of time for us all to check it out. I was kind of surprised. I was really looking forward to this movie because I really did love the Flashpoint comic series. I thought it was really well done. So I was kind of surprised it didn't hold my interest very well, which kind of disappointed me because because I did love the comic so much. And I think they did the movie a huge disservice. There should have been a scene very early on about Barry Allen going back to save his mother because that reveal kind of lost any punch it might have had at the very end because he should have already known that he went back to do that and he went back to change history so that was one of the things I found really disappointing about it but the animation was beautiful and the voice cast was great it just for some reason it it did not hold my attention as a movie the way it did as a comic you see I'm the reverse now I didn't read the the Flashpoint comic the only ones that I picked up were the Batman and Nightwing specific ones. I didn't actually bother getting the overall series, but I really enjoyed the film. I, I found it quite interesting. The the twist at the end where it turns out to be, it was because he went back in time to save his mum, changing everything, was I thought was quite well done. I thought the voice cast was excellent all the way through. 
I think, especially at the end, Kevin Conroy, you know, really conveyed a lot of emotion in that final last scene where uh, Flash hands Batman the note from his dad. And I, I thought it was an overall really, really good film, really enjoyable. And it was, you know, quite dark and, and gritty in a lot of places. And I thought it built up nicely all the way through. I thought it was actually a pretty good film. I didn't really have a whole lot of problems with it at all. I liked the animation, even though originally when I first saw the clips, I was kind of taken back by the the fact that the animation had a very, very Japanese influence on it, but it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it could have been. And I'm specifically talking about some of the early scenes where we see them out of their costumes, um, the hairstyles and the facial expressions scream Japanese animation to me but as the as the uh, movie continued on through and we saw them in their costumes it really just felt like an, a normal Justice League film it really didn't have a super large effect on their on themselves in their costumes I do have to give them props because obviously Flashpoint was a five issue miniseries they really haven't taken any five issue miniseries and turned it into a film. There's some of the previous ones they've done is their year one was four issues. Dark Knight Returns was four issues, uh, oversized four issues. But for the most part, they haven't really, and, and keep in mind, Dark Knight Returns, they still broke up, broke it up into two films. So that I think that taking five issues and really doing what they did by really covering a lot of different aspects of the actual original source material from the miniseries, they did a pretty decent job of including a lot of things that I did not expect them to include. I really didn't expect them to include any of the resistance aspects that were in England, including the Canterbury Cricket. I'm surprised that he got a cameo in the, in the, in the film. I'm surprised that Grifter showed up and some of these other characters that... Even some hardcore DC fans aren't even super aware of because they they were either first introduced really in main DC, DC continuity in Flashpoint or not, but I thought it was good. I also thought it was kind of interesting that they took some of the miniseries aspects and they revealed some of the things into very small mini scenes. You know, I talked about for the last couple months leading up to this that it would have been really cool for them to do maybe a short where they did the Batman Night of Vengeance, the Flashpoint mini tie-in miniseries for Batman, if they did a short based off of that, but the way they incorporated the reveal of who the Joker is in this alternate universe, it was done well, and it, and it explained exactly what it needed to explain, and in also, they also did the same thing with the Aquaman and Wonder Woman. They explained it very well in very short scenes that still added what you needed to know for the film. So that was that that was nice. I the, the one of the only things I had a real major problem with was the voice of Flash, which was voiced by Justin Chambers. I didn't really like the voice that much and I don't know if it's because I'm so used to Michael Rosenbaum voicing Flash for pretty much a ton of the Justice League films and Justice League the animated series. But his voice just, there was something off on his voice that I didn't really like. It had the right tone, but there was some sort of like, I don't know how to describe it other than like a ping at the end of everything that he said. It just came across as kind of not as natural as, as I would expect Flash to have his voice. Outside of that, I think that the movie overall was really, really done well. I also liked the fact that it was over the general 65 minutes that some of the other films have been recently. I liked the fact that it was a little bit longer. 
And if you listen to our commentary, a lot of people probably didn't know, realize this, but the end of the film, after the credits, there actually is a very, very brief, like, three-second after-credits after scene, which leads into the next film, Justice League War, where it shows a boom tube opening up and the parademons flying out towards Earth, leading us into what eventually happens with Justice League War. So that was kind of interesting to see as well. Alright, so outside of Justice League Flashpoint, as I said, you can check out the commentary on the website. And we also have tons of video clips on, on our YouTube page for you to check out as well. It's currently available right now, digital download as well as Blu-ray and DVD, so you can pick it up pretty much anywhere at this point. So let's move into some of the more headline news. So on August 22nd, Warner Brothers announced that the new Batman for the Man of Steel sequel has been cast, and it will be Ben Affleck. Now, the majority of people probably already have heard this because the internet blew up like an atomic bomb when uh, this was announced. They also announced the release date that same day. It's scheduled to release July 17, 2015. So the biggest thing is Ben Affleck. Let's talk about that very briefly um, because I know that some of the comments that we have in listener Q&As will also talk about that. But what was your initial thoughts about Ben Affleck as Batman? Initially, I think, like most people, my first thought was, oh, Daredevil. And... And I kind of, I forced myself to take a step back because I knew we were going to be talking about this. And I am actually really excited about this because if you look at the time period he married Daredevil and if you look at, you know, his entire body of work, he is extremely talented. And I don't think that he often gets the credit for it that he really deserves. I mean, he is a multiple Academy Award winner at this point in his life. He he has done so much more than just, ugh, Daredevil and ugh, Geely. Like, cause, I mean, if you want to talk about some of the stuff that Christian Bale's done, like, people are always going to question casting choices, and this is one that I'm actually really looking forward to. I'm choosing to be very, very optimistic about it. I was more surprised than sort of any other real emotion when it was announced because there was no kind of mention that he'd been in the running. Nobody had really hinted. I mean, you know, you had all sorts of, of rumours that Carl Urban was going to do it, Josh Brolin. One of the uh, one of the rival podcasts mentioned Richard Armitage at one point. And they said they had that for a reliable source. All of the kind of people I could definitely see playing Batman, whereas I don't think... When I think of Batman, I don't naturally jump to Ben Affleck. It's not because he's a bad actor. It's just because I don't associate him with sort of those comic-y kind of roles, really. I think it was it was perhaps more expected to be a, a bit of an unknown, really. But I, I think it's ultimately, I think it's a good choice. As Melinda said, you know, yeah, he's made some bad films, Pearl Harbor, but those are almost every actor. You're never going to get anybody who's who's perfect. And to be honest, uh, you know, being Batman fans, you're, they're never going to be satisfied, no matter who they announced it was going to be. But I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing sort of the trailers, the first shots of him in the Batman costume, 
and seeing what direction they take it, and then I might start complaining. So initially, when I first heard about this, we I posted we made sure we got this up right away on the news or on the website for everyone to find out, and tons of people were instantaneously bashing it, saying it was a horrible choice, blah blah blah. I was never really under the assumption that it was a bad choice. There's only one thing that I have a problem with Ben Affleck being Batman is, and I'll get to that in a second, but I've been following Ben Affleck and his career for quite some time. I honestly wouldn't say uh, Pearl Harbor is one of the worst movies that he's done. Daredevil is, I think, is a bad movie if you only watch the normal version. The director's cut of Daredevil is actually uh, much better than the original cut that they released in theaters. But there's another aspect of it. He was doing what he needed to do with the script that he had. The story for Daredevil was a horrible story. But if you just look at his him as Daredevil, he didn't actually do that bad of a job. Yes, there are plenty of problems with the Daredevil movie, but him as Matt Murdock and Daredevil, he actually did a pretty decent job. But recently, some of the movies that he's done more recently show me at least that there's plenty of opportunities for him to be a very good Bruce Wayne. He recently did a movie called Company Men where he worked for a major company and got laid off and has to basically basically work his way back up the corporate ladder. It, it It's not exactly Bruce Wayne, but it's kind of an interesting take on what Bruce Wayne could be. If you watch the movie The Town, he is a bank robber. That movie is awesome. He also directed that film. He recently directed Argo, and I think he did an amazing job in the movie Argo. His body of work over the past couple years has actually been really, really good in comparison to some of the stuff that a lot of people are using from his early career when he did a lot of really bad movies. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that because everybody automatically, the majority of people who found out that Ben Affleck is going to be Batman, the majority of people automatically snapped into their minds, oh my god, he was Daredevil, that was a crappy movie. They automatically associated that, that, and then all of the movies he did around that time frame were also not very good, so they're, so they're automatically putting that. On, Facebook, on our Facebook group, there was a lot of people saying that he was bad, and I specifically told people, go watch The Town, go watch Argo, and tell me he's a bad actor. And I would say about 95% of the people who ended up taking my advice and going to watch those films came back and said, wow, I actually, he actually is really good. I could see him being, you know, Bruce Wayne. The Batman aspect is the problem that I have. Yes, I think he could fill out the cowl pretty well. I don't think there's an issue with that. I think the issue is that he needs to bulk up to be Batman. He is a tall guy, but he's not very built. And if you look at all of the movies he's ever done, he's never really been a a really built guy. Now, that's not to say you, you have to be super built, because Christian Bale except for Batman Begins, he wasn't, he wasn't like ginormous. But the thing is, he has to be at least bigger than Henry Cavell in Man, since it's going to be a sequel to Man of Steel. He has to be bigger because Batman is going to be, they're saying he's supposed to be a little bit more seasoned and supposed to be doing this for a much longer time than Superman has. So that's my only quorum, is that I've never really seen a role where Ben Affleck gets extremely built. He'd have to pack on a ton of weight, and I've never really seen him in any role where he changes his his actual visual appearance for a role. 
he's normally always the same exact size for the majority of his films. He might gain, you know, 10 pounds here, 10 pounds, lose 10 pounds there, but for the majority of his roles, he's never really got extremely ripped or extremely skinny and he and I so I don't know that he is is going to do that. You look at Christian Bale and he went from the machinist to being like skin and bones to doing Batman Begins and being built and then going back and doing uh, the fighter where the fighter was again he was he went back to skin and bones to being decently built for the Dark Knight Rises so I mean there's some things that I have a problem with for that because Ben Affleck has never really been one of those actors who really gets into the role that much you can look at a lot of other characters and they've done that where they get built for roles but he's never really been that. So that's the only concern I have for Ben Affleck. His abilities, he's hes a great actor. He's even a better director. And honestly, if this leads to possibly Ben Affleck directing some Batman films and him starring in it, I'd be perfectly okay with that as long as he gets some really good scripts to do some decent Batman films. I think you raise a good point about him bulking up because you're right. I've never seen him change his appearance or change his weight however i think that that will be something that the studio probably also does demand of him because they're going to say no you need to be bigger than henry cavill look what henry cavill did for the role and i I honestly think that kind of pressure would work all right so the the so outside of that the other stuff that we have on the website related to man of steel we have a bunch of different quotes from various different people talking about Ben Affleck is Batman. We have some comments from Zack Snyder, uh, Morgan Freeman, Matt Damon. You can check those out on the website. Now, the the last bit of news we have related to Man of Steel, the sequel to Man of Steel, is that late last week, I believe it was the 29th of August, they, they revealed that Detroit will actually be the filming location for the sequel to Man of Steel. Now, that's going to happen, and they're going to start pre-production in early 2014, Obviously, they have to get this underway pretty quickly because the film is going to be coming out less than two years from now. So they're going to have to kind of get the ball rolling pretty quickly here. But it was announced that Detroit will be the the main area where they'll be filming the majority of the sequences for the sequel to Man of Steel. Now, not opposed to that, uh, Detroit, certain aspects of Detroit could be easily turned into Gotham because Detroit is well known to not be a super overbuilt city but does have some large larger skyscrapers that aren't it's it it, let's just put it this way it doesn't have a skyline like chicago so it doesn't need to be as big so that you could put wayne enterprise building dead center in the middle of detroit and it wouldn't be that big of a deal but at the same point i think that it is kind of interesting that they chose detroit that is pretty close to chicago in some regards and they did use a lot of Illinois and specific town called Plano, Illinois, which is about 45 minute drive from where I live to do the scenes from Smallville in the Man of Steel, the first film. So Detroit, uh, clearly they're going for more of the metropolis and possibly Gotham City with it. We still don't know anything else, but given that it was about a month since they announced that Batman was going to be in the film, that they announced that Ben Affleck was going to be cast as Batman, I'm expecting the uh, publicity train for Warner Brothers talking about Man of Steel, they're going to possibly be releasing something every month and given how much publicity, the fact that the announcement of Ben Affleck as Batman got, I could see them doing this very often where 
at least once a month leading up to the release of the film, or at least a year before the film, we're going to see little bits here and there, reveals about certain aspects about, okay, so Detroit's being used, but is Gotham going to be included? We still have yet to, it's still yet to be announced what the name of the film will actually be. It's also yet to be announced who the villain will be. There's talks that uh, the villain could be Lex Luthor, and it could be that Brian Cranston has either expressed interest or Warner Brothers expressed interest in 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 uh, Brian Cranston's Lex Luthor, I think that could also play pretty well. If you want to get an idea of how Ben Affleck and Brian Cranston could play into Man of Steel, check out the movie editorial section on the website. We have a uh, fan-made trailer that someone put together uh, with Brian Cranston and Ben Affleck appearing in the Man of Steel's uh, fan-made trailer, so you could kind of get an idea of what it could be like. And I think Brian Cranston could be a good choice, but we don't know for sure that it will be Lex Luthor. It makes sense if it is Lex Luthor, though. I was surprised to hear about Detroit as a filming location, just because that's not one that you normally do here. But and never having visited the city, I'm not overly familiar with their skyline. But if you say that, you know, Wayne Enterprises could be inserted in there, that really would make a lot of sense if they're going to use that as Gotham. Or, and this is this is terribly narrow-minded of me and ignorant of me in all actuality i don't know a whole lot about detroit as a city it could be metropolis after it's been destroyed i don't know if that's maybe why they chose it as well as for the brian cranston thing good for him for if he does sign on for riding the wave of publicity that he's been getting from all of his fantastic work on breaking bad and i hope that that bald cap doesn't fit too tightly and he's willing to put it on again I must admit, like Melinda, I know nothing about Detroit, aside from the 1920s, there were gangsters there. But I think, as you say, Dustin, the skyline is quite empty. Then I I do think that, you know, they're going to use it as a basis for Gotham to sort of, and then add in extra buildings as they kind of fill they need to. I think it's quite a clever move because it's obviously sort of saves on having to put in a digitally digitally create an entire city or anything like that. So it sort of obviously brings the special effects budget quite a way down. But I do like um, Melinda's idea as well that it could be potentially Metropolis after it's been destroyed if the sort of the rumours about Lex Luthor coming in are true then you know that would that would make a lot of sense that he comes in and starts rebuilding metropolis and doing all that kind of thing i think that would be very interesting as for the brian cranston rumor i hope that it it comes true he is an absolutely fantastic actor i think he's he's really talented and could really really portray the role off without any problems at all However, as we've learned from the slightly surprise announcement of Ben Affleck, you know, Zack Snyder and, and Warner Brothers aren't above kind of throwing a curveball occasionally, so it could literally be anyone. So, obviously, tons of stuff happening with Man of Steel. So, be sure to be checking out the website for the latest news related to Man of Steel 2, as we will be reporting all of the news related to the Superman film even though it is a Superman film, because Batman will have a large role, the intent is that we will also be covering Man of Steel. Outside of that, we don't have any other uh, movie news. There is 
a couple of different rumors floating around. Uh, New York Comic Con is happening in October, and there's rumors that we'll be hearing a little bit more about some of the upcoming projects from Warner Brothers uh, as far as the direct-to-DVD or the direct-to-video releases that they have. We know Just League War is the next one, but outside of that, there's two Batman films that are going to be releasing next year, and we might be hearing a little bit more about them at New York Comic Con. But that's still about a month and a half away from actually being reported, but there's plenty of other news related to movies that you can be checking out in the meantime, including going to check out our commentary for Just League Flashpoint. So let's move into TV news. Let's take these bad guys down, Ace. No, Crypto, not just yet. Why? Because we're waiting for our third partner. Third partner? Who are we waiting for? A Green Lantern. You invited a human? We're super pets. We don't talk in front of humans. Calm down. This Green Lantern is not human. Wow. A dog lantern? That's cool. I've never worked with a Green Lantern before. Look, just promise me you'll stay cool. What's that supposed to mean? I'm cool. I'm cool as can be. I'm so cool I even have freeze breath. Yeah. See, there you go. You start getting excited and you can't contain yourself. Okay, here he comes. Glad you could make it, Badge. So a couple of unfortunate things to report at first. Two different voices from the original Batman the Animated Series have the the voice actors who voiced characters passed away. Michael and Sarah, who voiced Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series, he passed away at the age of 91. And about a week later, Henry Pollock II, who voiced Jonathan Crane and Scarecrow in Batman the Animated Series, also passed away. So... Thoughts and prayers go out to the family of both of those voice actors. They did a remarkable job in their roles, and we keep their family in our thoughts. Alright, so outside of that, we have three episodes of Beware the Batman to cover. The first one was called Safe. It aired on August 3rd. Introducing the prototype for his newest product to the entire world, the Ion Cortex, the powerful device capable of solving the world's energy crisis, Bruce Wayne hires brilliant scientist Dr. Jason Burr to work on the project. The announcement also draws the attention of one of the most dangerous groups in the world, the League of Assassins. When one of the League's agents, Silver Monkey, attacks Wayne Manor to kidnap Dr. Burr while Batman's in Gotham, it's up to Alfred and Katana to keep the assassin at bay until Batman's return. But, but, Katana, but Katana is armed and ready for the task with the legendary Soul Taker Sword, a sacred weapon she stole from the League of Assassins back when she used to work for them. So what do we think of this episode? This one, I really liked the, the glimpse we got into Katana's past because we knew it had to be a little bit checkered. But Dr. Jason Burr was just so hilarious as the guy who wouldn't give up when hitting on Katana. It was a good episode, not my favorite, but I did like, as I said, the fact that we got to see a little bit more about Katana, and we got to see that, you know, Bruce is still obviously very new at this, and he doesn't have everything figured out all the time. He doesn't know how to get past his own security systems, so he has to ask his computer for help and hope for the best at the end. That description that Dustin read makes the episode sound a lot more interesting than it was. This was, for me, really, really boring. Nothing happened that I found even remotely interesting. The whole Jason Burr hitting on Katana was not funny at all. It just, it was 
I accepted it the first time that it happened and thought, oh, okay, you know, fair enough. That was sort of an attempt to be humorous. I'll give them that one. And then it got boring very, very quickly as they just spun it out and out and out to the point that it made up the entire episode. And I just I just found everything in it really dull. It was it was Batman on a motorcycle for ninety percent of this episode and I just lost the will to live the entire way through that. It was awful. I have nothing good to say about it. I thought this was also kind of a slower episode. It was building up Alfred and Katana a little bit more, revealing a little bit more of Katana's back history. But the the idea of the League of Assassins and the only one that's really represented is Silver Monkey was kind of kind of a throw off because it, Silver Monkey is not not one of the more recognizable members of the League of Assassins to the normal people. Now I understand that the the majority of the shows that they're or the majority of the characters they're using are supposed to be kind of unknown characters, but the fact that they had to use the League of Assassins to promote this character Silver Monkey. It's kind of like, eh, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't the best by far. All right, next up, August 10th, the episode Broken aired. Strange life-size toy soldiers armed with real weapons have started appearing all over Gotham. When Batman investigates, however, he discovers that they are not toys, but people trapped inside explosive shells. People ranging from Tobias Wales hit squad operative Joseph Icepick Joe Crimple Wales financial advisor Donovan Baker and district attorney Marion Grange. The clues lead him to a former mob accountant named Humphrey Dumpler, a.k.a. Humpty Dumpty, who went insane while Whale tried to silence him before he could testify. Now Dumpty wants payback, and one of the people he's targeted is Lieutenant James Gordon. So what do we think of this episode? Definitely liked this one better. I like Humpty Dumpty just better than assassins anyway this was actually one place where i really really noticed that i liked the animation style is because the first time you kind of get that look at humpty dumpty's face it's so cold and it's so blank and it's so expressionless and you do kind of get the feeling that this is a broken man this is someone who is really sick and has been driven insane and I like that they bring that up at the very end, that he's not pure evil, he's just broken. So, obviously, really obvious that you're going to use Humpty Dumpty for that, because Humpty Dumpty's that on the wall. But it had also probably one of my favorite one-off jokes from the series so far, which was Batman asking his computer, last known location of Humpty Dumpty, and his computer says, well, the wall. Which I thought was kind of cute, I thought it was kind of clever. I liked this one a lot more. We got to see a bit more of the interaction between Barbara and Lieutenant Gordon, which, you know, we have seen before, but I think that they they showed it just, just a bit more in this episode, and you saw a little bit more of how they relate to each other, and she calls him Lieutenant, which is cute, but a little weird. I would say, yeah, my favorite of the three episodes. I thought, yeah, uh, this was a step up. I thought Humpty Dumpty was quite creepy, his expressionless face and the voice as well all gave it quite a dark, made the character quite dark, whereas a lot of the time he's quite comical. Although I did at the start when he was putting the toy soldiers down think, oh, this is about the toy man, the Superman villain, because he sounds quite similar to the toy man from the animated series. 
but the references to how he was broken and were, were nice little nods to, to sort of the, the history of the character, as Melinda said, you know, Humpty Dumpty breaking and not being able to put back. The only thing that I really could nitpick at was that his backstory, he didn't really seem like there was anything that would push him majorly over the edge. Granted, there was one attempt to to kill him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody's going to be driven to insanity. And I, I think I would have liked to have seen a bit more of his backstory, maybe seen sort of some some way where he was really pushed to a breaking point to get him to that place where he is such a cold, dark character. I felt that really that was the bit that was lacking in this in this story, to be honest. I thought this was an interesting episode. I mean, it kind of built a little bit more of the universe. Uh, instead of focusing on Carmine Falcone or... Rupert Thorne, as they focused on in past incarnations of Batman, they're focusing on Tobias Whale, which is an existing character. They didn't just randomly create this character. It's an existing character within the Batman universe that is another mobster. The fact that they're incorporating some of these other characters, the fact that they're explaining Humpty Dumpty's origin in this show, it was kind of interesting because this they didn't really explain the origin of Professor Pig and Mr. Toad in previous episodes, so that it's nice to see these origins being explained in some of the episodes instead of just, here's this villain, it exists, that's it. I like how they're just incorporating all of these different characters. Some of them are existing, some of them aren't, like Marion Grange, how she's already an existing character. Um, so it's it's interesting to see this. Also, the uh, the little scene where we had Barbara Gordon in it, that was also kind of interesting because um, I, I don't... I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've seen the promotion, or the well, at least the cover for the Batgirl Zero Year tie-in, and it just so happens that Batgirl looks exactly like she does on Beware the Batman, which is also around that early point in Bruce's career. So I found that kind of interesting, how she has that pixie cut, and she looks very similar to the way she's going to appear in the comics. I don't know if that's coincidence or if that was planned, but it is what it is. Alright, so the last episode we have to talk about aired on August 17th. It's called Toxic. After responding to a break-in at a chemical labs at Stag Industries, Batman rescues security guard Rex Mason, who has been exposed to a weaponized toxic gas known only as Project Metamorpho. Soon, Rex begins to mutate with the ability to control the elements of his own body. Terrified and unable to control his new abilities, Rex becomes a fugitive. Realizing that this metamorphosis is slowly killing Rex, Batman sets out to find a cure. Rex is only concerned about one thing, Sapphire Stagg, the woman he loves, and he'd risk all of Gotham to be with her. But her father, Simon Stagg, holds the secrets of his own and will do anything to keep them apart. So what do we think of this episode? It was tough picking between this episode and Broken for my favorite. When I first started watching this and they said the name Rex Mason, I was like, that sounds really familiar. Why does it sound familiar? And I couldn't place it until, obviously, they showed us the Project Metamorpho, and I got very excited. I really like the character of Metamorpho, and so I was really happy to see that he is getting brought in because one of the things about him is he's he's mutated, yes, but he is not really a villain. Um, from what I remember, he ends up joining the Outsiders, 
And it was nice to see, again, someone from a previous episode being brought in, because you had Simon Stagg coming in and and being the owner of this chemical lab. So it it's nice that this is all tying together because that was one of the one of the things I really was worried about with this series was that you know it was just going to be a bunch of one-off episodes and episodes like this and episodes you know that they've shown so far have really proven that it that it isn't like that it's going to be a, a big cohesive storyline and a big expanded universe and I thought that was really great and I really enjoyed the fact that they chose Metamorpho to bring in so early I do agree with what you say, Melinda, about them bringing in expanded character, you know, bigger universe, and also tying it all together and and bringing them back. However, again, like the broken, I just kind of felt this episode was really missing something that to to make it beyond an average episode into a really good episode. I don't think that they explored enough of the relationship between Rex and Sapphire and how their relationship would be affected by this. I think that, to be honest, that needed to be added up a lot more because obviously I think this is going to be quite a... There's sort of going to be a sympathetic villain then becoming a hero storyline to him. And for that to happen, you kind of really need to feel sorry for Rex turning into Metamorpho and becoming sort of this slightly ostracized person because of how he looks. And I didn't think that that episode really produced that at all. I don't think it was helped by the fact that Simon, a really weak villain in my opinion. I didn't feel that there was any kind of menace from him, that he was particularly dangerous or that in fact actually he's all that bright because to be honest he could have, and I never understand why they're doing this, he could have frankly just waited until Rex went home and then shot him in the head and dumped the body somewhere. He needed a human testing subject. Yeah, but he kind of only really thinks about that after after he's done it. It just, it didn't seem that well thought out. Because what if the guy had sort of stopped about halfway and gone, oh, well, now I don't know where he is, or I'm not going to run through there because that's a highly expensive bit of equipment, which is not, I really don't want him to run through. Um, and also, what if he'd, if he'd done it and then absolutely nothing had happened? He would have still been stuck. He would have been in the same situation that he was at the start. He just... I didn't think that he wasn't... He's, he wasn't that bright at all. He's a bit like Nick Scratch in the, in the Road to No Man's Land and No Man's Land series. He's a villain that I don't quite understand and just think is an idiot. And I think that, to me, kind of marred the the whole episode and really sort of made it just an average one rather than a a good one or one that I would kind of hold my hand up and go, do you know what, that was really good. I can't find any flaws in that. 
Well, I'll tell you this. I actually didn't like this episode at all. And part of the reason is because they basically messed with the idea of who Rex Mason is. Rex Mason was never really a fugitive. And there was a couple problems. One, the, the idea of Rex Mason and Sapphire, that worked. That, that made sense according to the, the original ones. The Simon Stagg aspect worked. But here's the thing that didn't make any sense to me. So Rex becomes metamorpho and the police show up and the first thing the police do is they start shooting at him. They don't, he doesn't have any weapons. He's not attacking anybody. They just start shooting at him. Then he goes down to the main level of Gotham City and he just starts chucking cars. But why is he chucking cars? Nobody's shooting him at him when he's chucking the cars. They start shooting at him after he chucks the cars. Then he's running from Batman, even though Batman's saying he wants to help. Why is he under the assumption that, you know, he's done something wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. He got attacked. I know what it was. It was when when Rex was in the, the hospital and he first turns into Metamorpho. When he's sitting there and he turns into Metamorpho, the police burst in and start shooting at him and then he jumps out the window. It didn't make any sense. Then he started throwing cars for whatever reason. And then he destroys half of a building because Batman's trying to get him to chill out. I looked at this, and I looked at this as the, from a different perspective. This is like the Incredible Hulk. They turned this character into the Incredible Hulk. He was oversized, much larger than he ever has been in any other incarnation of the character, number one. Number two, outside of being oversized, he has that, I'm, I'm mad, I, I'm just going to destroy things because I'm mad. And somehow the only thing that's going to calm me down is the girl that I'm in love with. It was the Hulk. That's what it was. And, like, I'm just sitting here thinking, yes, part of that is true, but he was never this oversized thug who just destroys stuff, and then the only way he can stop is if his girlfriend tells him to chill out. It never was like that. Oh, I was going to say, no, from what I remember, that's that's true. He He didn't ever, like, rage vomit all over the city. But as far as the cops in Gotham shooting right away, if I were a cop in Gotham, that would be what I would do, whatever the situation. But it also didn't, to me, ever look like they were shooting bullets. It looked like they were shooting electrical somethings. I I don't even know what those would be. But I don't know if that's because of the way it actually, like, that's intentional, where it was supposed to be, like, I don't know, electric tasers or something. But it really comes across as... It looks like phaser guns because that's what they're trying to do to make it not look super realistic because that was one of the big things that they told everybody they were going to change was that they weren't going to make the guns look super realistic in the show because they didn't want to give kids the wrong idea about guns. But I just didn't like how he was portrayed when he was metamorpho. And then the whole thing is when Batman's trying to save him, it turns into this... No, I don't want to be saved. It's like, well, why don't you want to be saved? You're you're complaining that you are who you are and you look the way you are, but then you don't want to be saved by Batman after he's telling you that he can save you and he has to trick you into trying to save you, even though Batman is unsuccessful. It's just, I don't know, it came across as I didn't understand what they were trying to get across here because they're not really representing the character super well, and I just it just came across to me as this is the Hulk and then... You know, he's just multicolored instead of green. Alright, so that being said, those are all the episodes of Beware the Batman that aired in the month of August. For whatever reason, the last two weeks of August, they didn't have a new episode. Supposedly, all four weeks of the month of September will have new episodes. We don't know exactly who some of the 
larger villains are going to be, or some of the main villains for these episodes are going to be. As of right now, we just know that Katana is focused very heavily in the next couple episodes. And one of the episodes, Bruce will reveal to Katana that he is Batman. And that sets up her working side-by-side with Batman in the future. So outside of that, there is no other TV news. I do want to tell everyone, and you can head over to our YouTube page, there are a couple of new videos we've posted up related to some of the DC Nation shorts that involve Batman, so you can check those out. Uh, But that is all of that, so we're going to move straight over into merchandise news. Tim, you'll be running Gamma. Me? Dick, I've never led a squad before. Making this a good opportunity to get your feet wet as a field leader. Because it's Gamma and you're not expecting trouble? Or because we're stretched thin and you have no choice? Just don't die, okay? And no unnecessary risks to the squad. That's an order. Next up in merchandise news, the first thing we have is on August 16th, Mattel revealed one of the figures that will be part of the 2014 Club Infinite Earths lineup. The figure is Damian Wayne in his Robin costume. This is the first time that Damian Wayne will be actually available outside of DC Direct or DC Collectibles. But uh, this is actually supposed to be part of the Club Infinite Earths. Now, the unfortunate news is briefly talked about this last month when we were talking about some of the Mattel stuff. Club Infinite Earths did not actually meet the goal for what they would need to make it to make sure that the 2014 Club Infinite Earths subscription happens. So, the official press release from... Mattel says we'd like to say a huge thank you to all the fans for waging such a good strong fight it will take us a while to figure out where we can go from here it may be possible to release a few DCU figures quarterly or to release 12 inch figures at a higher non-subscription price or we may have to say a final goodbye to this line at the end of this year without the sub we just don't know what's possible at this point Over the next few months, we'll be meeting internally with all of our partners at Warner Brothers and DC Comics, and we'll let you know as soon as we can what our options are. So that Damian Wayne figure may not happen at all. Some of the other figures that might not happen is Bad Zaro, because that was also part of the line, I believe, for 2014 as well. So the the catch here is that if you are unfamiliar with the way Mattel has been working some of their figures, let me just give you a real quick rundown. So DC Universe Classics, which are the 6-inch figures, uh, Mattel released for many, many years. They had, I believe, it was like 22 waves. They ended up releasing total, including a number of exclusives at different retailers like KB Toys and Walmart and Toys R Us. And then, basically, because they had run so many different figures over these these 20 waves, 20-plus waves, they ended up not selling as well because they started to release some of the lesser known characters instead of doing a different repainted Batman every single year. So what ended up happening was they decided that they were going to end the line because they just weren't selling well enough. And when they ended the line, they basically decided to start what they called DC Universe Signature Collection on their website, MaddieCollector.com, where they would have specific figures that would still be in line with all of those other six inch action figures that were part of DC Universe Classics, but they were going to release specific figures that fans really demanded but weren't going to be super popular to have in a retail setting. Among some of the ones that have already been released was Poison Ivy, Black Mask, Huntress is releasing this month in September, 
Bat Zarl was another one. Damian Wayne, as I just mentioned. They had Red Hood, the Jason Todd Red Hood in the full costume from Batman and Robin. Those were some of the ones that they have released or planned to release. The problem is that the the only way that they would keep producing them was by a subscription base. You'd have to basically pay a specific price to guarantee that you would buy every single figure in this line for an entire year. That's $250 plus shipping. That's a lot of money to spend. It's $25 a figure you are guaranteed and you had to pay a specific price to get this to guarantee you would actually be doing the subscription. Now the price that you'd pay for the subscription would go towards a subscription's exclusive figure. One year it was some character I never heard of and then this year it was going to be Doomsday. But the problem is that $25 is a lot of money for an action figure to begin with. Then to only guarantee that you're going to be able to get these by buying all 10 figures or 12 figures, whatever it is, and still paying all of that money plus shipping, that's a lot of money to guarantee, especially when you might not want every single one of these figures. Now, they do release a small amount of the figures by themselves that are not part of the subscription at a little bit higher price, but then it goes up to, I think, about $30 a piece. I don't really want to pay $30 for a black mask just to fall in line with all of the other figures that I have that are the same size. It's a lot of money. So the big thing is, last year they were really struggling to make the subscription thing work for DC. One of the ones that they did last year, I believe, was the Young Justice. They had a Young Justice subscription. It didn't even get anywhere near what they needed to get, so they just said, we're not doing it. It's kind of a downfall because, as I complained last month, Mattel has been doing a lot of really odd things with some of their action figures when it comes to the DC Comics. And I'm starting to think to myself that maybe it's time to jump ship and start doing the DC collectible figures since they have no problem releasing figures and they release figures that people want. I, I maybe maybe and and they're not nearly as expensive. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe it's time to jump ship. I'd like to say it's not time to jump ship, but I like the idea that if I'm going to buy a figure, that's really all I'm on the hook for is a figure. Like I would love to get that Damian Wayne action figure, but am I interested in Doomsday, 90s appearance Aquaman, or Superboy? No, not really. I really wish they could find a way to make it work to have these other figures available to purchase on a non-subscription basis, but, you know, clearly subscription isn't working for them either. They weren't able to put out Young Justice last year, and... Club Infinite Earths doesn't look like it's coming out this year, so they need to look at it again regardless. You know, you need to review your business model if this is something that's consistently happening. Well, here's my, here's my thought. Rather than trying to force people to pay £25, each, uh, $25 even, each month to, at the end of it, get a figure, why don't they sort out their shipping model so that when they ship things to the stores they actually uh, turn up at the stores so that people can go and buy the things off the shelf rather than having to I I went to Toys R Us recently and they had nothing but those horrible oversized Batman children's line toys and that was it there was nothing else uh, available at all and 
if I want to buy one, I either have to find Forbidden Planet in London, which is a mission, or go on the internet and pay overpriced over-the-top prices to, to get figures. Why don't they sort that out first? That way they will have more people coming in and buying their toys. And also they will have a dedicated fan base who will then want to pay £25 to get, you know, Aquaman in hot pants or whatever obscure character that they're going to release on a subscription basis. Because they'll go, right, well, they can deliver, they can do it. And the, the the rest of these toys are really good quality. I, I want to do this. This is why it's not working. And then, you know, they might not be up a creek with no paddle or canoe. I mean, I don't want to rehash everything that I said last month, but it does come down to they don't have the stuff in the stores. Every single line that they've ran with the Batman stuff, the Movie Master figures the Batman Legacy figures, the DC Universe Classics, for the for, for the most part, back early before they got into probably like Wave 15, and now the Batman Unlimited series. All of these figures that they've had, I never see them at the stores. And, you know, this doesn't change. I went to multiple stores throughout the month of August, and every single store, none of them have any of the Batman or DC Comics Unlimited figures. None of them have any of them so it doesn't make any sense and i noticed that target they don't even have spots on their shelves because they re just reset their toys they don't even have spots on their shelves for them so it's not as if it's as if target's not even going to carry them anymore because mattel can't keep enough of them on the shelves and if people are just buying them real quick and reselling them on ebay more power to them you know if that's what they want to do that's fine but that means they're still selling so if Mattel's looking at it from the perspective of we don't sell enough of these, but then everywhere you go, they're never on the shelves. It, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, they're going to sell better at a retail store than they are at a comic store, so a comic store might have tons more of them because they have to order a case and it's going to take them a little bit longer to sell an entire case of the figures compared to a retail store. But if a retail store is their main audience and they're selling and they're never on the shelves, then, then you should be making more. And as John said, I, myself, do not want to have to go on to eBay and have to pay two, three times as much as what the figure would have cost in the retail setting because Mattel doesn't produce enough of them because Mattel thinks, well, we don't want to make too many of them because we don't want them, we don't want them sitting on the shelves. I think the problem is that as DC Universe Classics got further on, they were producing so many figures that weren't super sought after, like... I'm trying to think of some of the characters that they had. They had Omac was one of the characters. Nobody's going to look at Omac and say, hey, I want that character. Or I think there was another character called Pharaoh. I never even knew who that character was. But these are the characters that were in some of the later series or later waves because they didn't want to keep redoing the same ones over and over again. Yet, they never did a Poison Ivy. They never did a Black Mask. They never did a Damian Wayne or a Red Hood or any of these figures that are part of the subscription system that they put in place. But they could have put those in some of the waves. That's the thing. It just, to me, there's a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense about what they're doing when it comes to their figures. Them saying the base at the retail stores is not there. They don't sell very well. But then every time, no matter where I go, Toys R Us, Target, Walmart, Anywhere that would carry them, they never have them. So who's buying them then? 
is someone buying them and then sending them back to Mattel? It doesn't make any sense. The only thing that I've seen plenty of recently is the Man of Steel movie masters, which in some regards are a freaking joke because it's really just the figure. They don't even come with any accessories. It's not like the Dark Knight Rises figures that came with the collect to connect the bat signal that you could build. It doesn't come with any accessories like the Dark Knight movie masters. They literally have, and even the uh, Green Lantern movie masters had collect to connect to build the parallax. So they have nothing. It's literally just packaging with a random figure in it and they want people to pay $20 for it. It's ridiculous. I don't know what they're thinking and how DC, who doesn't have these figures at all of the retail stores, are able to produce the figures, make them less expensive. It just doesn't It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't understand what Mattel's doing. It really just seems like someone needs to say to Mattel, if you don't get your crap together, we're going to pull your license and you're not going to be able to do anything anymore. But that being said, the only other merchandise news we have is just a real quick announcement. Designer Lauren Mashi is teaming up with Warner Brothers to bring a number of different apparel to stores. The part of the ones will include Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. We have the press release on the website as well as an image of one of the t-shirts. I'm not going to delve too much into that. If you're interested in that, you can head over to the website. Let's move straight into video game news. I've long waited for this moment. (laughs) With your death... I will find peace. Eight assassins after your head. What are you going to do? I'm going to find Black Mask and put an end to this. Two big things to announce. The first thing is... The Collector's Edition, the North American Collector's Edition for Batman Arkham Origins was revealed. It's very different than the original that was rumored back around Comic-Con, the the French one. It appears that the North American version will include a very unique Joker statue. It's a Joker statue with LED effects. There's a picture of it on the website. It's basically Joker sitting at a table with a bunch of TV screens stacked up behind him. Um, You can check out that. The Collector's Edition will also include an 80-page art book, two pieces of evidence, a Batman Wanted poster with prototype schematics for the Batwing, an Anarchy stencil, a glow-in-the-dark map of Gotham City, a Wayne family photo, and eight Intel dossiers for the assassins that are featured in the game, along with Black Mask's contract. You will also get a first appearance skin, which will make Batman look like his first appearance in Detective Comics 27, and the Deathstroke Challenge Pack, which will unlock two extra Deathstroke skins along with the challenge maps. They will also include the upcoming Necessary Evil Supervillains of the DC Comics full-length documentary, and the PS3 version will come with the Nightfall Pack as an exclusive, as we previously announced. Now, the UK version will actually, it's the majority of the stuff is the same except for the statue. The statue is actually a 12-inch Batman and Joker statue where Batman's holding Joker off the side of a building. Personally, I like the North American one, which is coincidental because I am in North America, so I, I do like that. You can check out pictures of both the collector's editions on the website. These are available for pre-order as we speak right now, and keep in mind that the game does come out at the end of October, so there's not a ton of time to pre-order this collector's edition before. The the price for the North American, which will also be available in Australia and New Zealand, 
will be available for Xbox 360 and PS3 for 120. The UK Collector's Edition will only be available on the Am- on Amazon UK and will be released the same day as the other ones for both versions and will cost 80 pounds. So if you are interested in, in pre-ordering that, I suggest you do it as soon as possible. Now keep in mind you don't have to pay the full 120 up front, but you do have to put some money down. I, I don't know, it depends on where you're pre-ordering it from, but I personally am pre-ordering mine this coming week of the collector's edition because I think the statue that comes with the North American one is pretty awesome. I'm just looking through the through all the stuff and I think these are gorgeously packaged. Like this is incredible. I know actually probably two different people that would really, really like this and trying to think if I could, you know, just steal the collector's statue from my brother. No, these are these are well worth the hundred and twenty dollars or the eighty pounds that you would end up paying for these. I mean this is this is just a ton of content, and it's it looks so gorgeous. And that game actually does look incredible as well, so quite a deal. Yeah, for, for £80 for what you get, it's absolute bargain. Amazon UK as well always tend to drop the prices when it's either sort of a week before or just after a game is released. Their prices seem to plummet for some reason. So I'm probably going to hold out until after it's come out and then sort of hopefully pick it up for, for even less. But I, th- I think the UK statue looks really, really good. I'm just going to have to buy a second one and rely on the fact that some of my North American friends might want to do some kind of trade at some point. I'm sure that might be a possibility. All right, the other uh, Batman Arkham Origins news that we have is that one of the another one of the assassins was revealed. It will be Firefly. We do have the video, the new trailer that shows off Firefly flying around YouTube page and the website, so you can be sure to check that out. Firefly looks pretty similar to some of his comic incarnations. The trailer that he was revealed in was not specifically only Firefly, so it's hard to say exactly how much of the game he'll be affected, and it'll probably just be one of the, the bosses for the game. That is all of the video game news we have. So as far as general news goes, we have no general news, so we're going to move straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. So, first up, Alex says, Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate all the work you do. I'm really disappointed in Mattel as well. I saw on Big Bad Toy Story that they're selling the subscription-based DC Universe figures for $35 plus shipping and the larger figures for around $70 plus shipping. I think that's ridiculous. If you're part of the subscription, it's very disingenuous to ask people to spend around $250 and not even tell you what you're going to get. On top of that, they entice people with highly demanded characters and then force people to get characters like Batzaro. It's not right. And I'm sure a lot of people really like the green-suited, red-goggled look for Doomsday, but they know people want the classic unleashed look and are teasing people with that that you've got to get the Tier 2 garbage. They spent all that money on for all that new tooling just to taunt people like that. Those are your fans. And those super expensive prices, a lot of them are head swaps and new paint jobs. All they had to do was use that Mr. Terrific figure 
and add a new head sculpt as usual, but they gave the fans the Grant Morrison pillhead version of the Red Hood instead of the most recognizable costume. It's not good for a, from a business standpoint because it's not cheaper and only extremely diehard fans are going to pay that insane price for neither a classic or current vision of the Red Hood. And with the new line, the only reason why it would appeal to a younger kids is because they're cheaper, therefore parents might buy them two figures instead of one. I bought the 2003 Mattel Batman because I was so happy to see a Batman figure that could actually bend his its knees and move its arms in and out. Sure, it cost more than Marvel Legends, who gave you a comic, a massive build-a-figure piece, and a figure that was so articulated you could even bend individual fingers for $6 with a much better sculpt, but I wanted to show my support for Mattel for the direction that they were taking. Then I was so happy to support them when I saw the DC superheroes come out, not now, not so much. I really want to see Robin in a movie, but I don't know how it will work if they tie it into the new DC movie continuity. If it was a standalone or a its own series, then I could go for its trapped-in-time 40s look, like in the Batman the Animated series. If they are going to do it, then I don't think the circus is going to work. I don't think circuses are that popular, let alone a popular place for billionaires. Maybe the Grayson family could be actors in some productions so that they could keep their performer angle. Then they could use flashbacks to tie into Batman's origin, like in Batman Begins, and show how his parents died after leaving the theater. Then he could confront him and continue with Robin's reckoning flashback route. Then it wouldn't seem so awkward, or maybe that's a horrible idea. What kind of look would you like for the new Batman movies, costume ideas, atmosphere of Gotham, level of grittiness or darkness, etc. All right, so first off, we already talked about the Mattel stuff, Alex. Uh, I'm right there with you. Now, I do disagree with you. I, I honestly would want the Bat Zaro and the Red Hood, but that's more of the fact that they're Batman-related characters, and that's why I would want them. But they are ridiculously overpriced, as we, as I just talked about a little bit earlier. So, jumping into your Robin stuff. Actually, Joe Jinks over uh, from the comic cast wrote an article up on the website under the movie editorial section called Dick Goes to Hollywood, where it kind of delves into how Dick Grayson could actually work not only in in Batman movies going forward, but also it could work in with The Man of Steel. I think personally that the only way you could really work Dick Grayson into it and not come across as super cheesy is... Batman is already established as a character, and Robin is already established as well. The idea would be that the only way to really make it work is if you do it in flashbacks, revealing that Bruce Wayne brought Robin in as he was younger, but current times he is going to be he's going to be much older. He's not going to be a twelve year old boy. To me, having Batman jump around with a twelve year old boy doesn't come across as very politically correct nowadays so I don't know that it would work if they did that but if they moved it up where they just show how he came into it and then years later he becomes Robin because he's trained after multiple years it could work as far as your other question about uh, what kind of look would I want for the new Batman movies I definitely wouldn't want to have any of the rubber aspects that we saw in some of the previous movies before the Nolan films I do like the the look of the costume that Christian Bale had in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Kind of that, you know, piece of armor suit instead of just one giant piece. The atmosphere of Gotham, I think, definitely needs to be dark and gritty. 
especially if they're playing in contrast to the metropolis, which is supposed to be a bright city. So I think that Gotham is going to appear as basically the the down in the dumps slums in certain in, in a majority of the city and. Maybe the financial district will be the bright area, but the majority of the city has to be that dark and gritty area compared to what we're going to see with Metropolis. The one way that I think that you could have circus performers work within this universe, if you did want to show it in flashbacks, would be to have either Bruce Wayne attending a Cirque du Soleil performance or hosting a party or attending a party where they have Cirque performers there. I think if you want to update it and you want to make that a little more current, that's probably the best way to do it, just because that's that really is where you have a lot of acrobats still in popular culture and, and in work in this day and age. But I definitely agree with Dustin that you really can't, you can't have a 12-year-old in tights or otherwise swinging around with a fully grown guy in Gotham City. Like, there's just no way that would fly as even remotely realistic or okay. So I think that having an older Robin would probably be the best thing to do. As far as the atmosphere of Gotham, the one thing that I've noticed just in watching the older 1989 and after Batman movies is I get a very roger rabbit feel from them every time or like when i went to toontown down in disneyland it's just it's not if you're trying to paint the rest of the movie as realistic you can't have atmosphere and scenery like you had in the older movies you do have to go newer and more realistic and so i don't think that the trapped in the 40s vibe will work for the new movies especially because they're already being set in the same universe that this Superman has been set in. So for costumes, as long as we don't take two steps back with the costumes, I really don't mind if they are rubberized. The armor was great and it absolutely fit, you know, the Batman that we just had, the warrior going out for battle. But if that doesn't work for the new character and what they're having the new character play i have no problem with them going back to a rubber suit it's it's really all about what the script demands of it for the robin storyline i do agree i'm not sure how much a kid would work but someone who's probably sort of 15 16 but still has sort of a little bit of a youthful kind of look i think would work as a robin and, and keep it close enough to the origins to keep the fans happy, but far enough away to sort of prevent all the kind of jokes about quite what Batman and Robin get up to and how appropriate it is. For the circuses, I, maybe it's... I don't know how different it is in Canada and the United States, but in the UK we still have travelling circuses. Where I live in Surrey, in the, which is a big county, we over the summer we'll regularly have three, two, three circuses pitch up, set up tents in a field and then spend sort of a week there or a, week, a long weekend and it, they're still really popular so from a, a UK perspective the circus storyline would still work but how much it would work in North America I'm not as 
certain because obviously I don't know the the culture and I but I think it's if you're doing Dick Grayson, it's an integral part of his storyline, and I'm not sure how much you can kind of get away with throwing it out of the window, to be honest. As for the look, I think I would like them to stay realistic, but move back towards comics and maybe sort of look at basing their costumes around some of the stuff that maybe Greg Capullo does. I think he draws the, the back costume really well and sort of bring in references to those and keep it a bit more back towards the sort of comic book origins and how the character is in the comic book, which I get a feeling Warner Brothers wants, to, and, and DC specifically, want to do because Obviously, having an older Bruce who's been around for a lot longer ties into all the stuff that they're doing in the New 52 and Superman sort of being a young superhero. And I think as well it would tie better into what they've done with Superman, which is whilst he is realistic, he still is true to his origins. And and that's kind of the way that I'd like to see them go. And I think if they do it well, it, it would look really, really good. All right, so moving to the next one, Jason asked, Hey guys, another great episode. With Zack Snyder and company looking for an older Batman in his 40s, who would be your top three picks to play Batman? Keep up the good work. Well, Jason, as we already know, they picked Ben Affleck, so we'll move to the next one. Kevin says, Actually, now that I think about it, Brad Pitt would be a good choice to play an older Batman. I would completely disagree with that. I don't see Brad Pitt ever being able to pull off Batman. I mean, obviously, we already know who's going to be Batman, but just as a side note, I don't think Brad Pitt would be a good Batman. He could probably, maybe, possibly pull off the Bruce Wayne aspect, but I don't see him ever being able to be Batman. Side note to that side note, I don't like Brad Pitt, but I do agree that he could pull off Bruce Wayne. Not necessarily Batman. Too much much of his general attitude just seems to be slacker. Side note to that, side note to that, side note. I've got nothing, but I just wanted to create a line of side notes. Okay. Next up, Nate says, Hey, my name is Nate. I love your podcast and the others. I'm 14 and would love to be on the show if you could tell me how. Thanks for an awesome podcast. Maybe give me a shout-out. And what are your guys' favorite Robins? Mine is Tim Drake. Thanks. Well, first off, Nate, unfortunately, we're not really looking for anybody to join any of the podcasts right now. We are, however, looking for people to write articles on the website, including reviews of animated TV shows, including all of the comics released on a weekly basis or monthly basis for some matters. We're specifically looking for people to review some of the Digital First series, as well as some of the other non-Batman-related books like Justice League, Justice League of America, stuff like that that still ties into the Batman universe but not stuff that we cover on a monthly basis. As well as just editorials in general about how people are randomly th- how people randomly think about certain events that are happening in the Batman universe. So if you're interested in writing articles, anybody out there is interested in writing articles for the Batman universe, shoot us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and then also include either a sample article or a link to your personal blog with an article. Uh, We're also looking for people who vlog video blogging. We're also looking for people to do that. So in general we're looking for all kinds of people to join us on the website but just as of right now we're not looking for any more podcast co-hosts. As for your last question 
Who is our favorite Robin? Mine would have to be Tim Drake. Hi, Nate. My favorite Robin is Damien. My favorite Robin would be Tim Drake as well. And, Nate, I would suggest you check out the Batman Universe specials, rank the Batman the Robin special, uh, specifically because we actually talk a lot about all of the different Robins. We give a lot of history about the Robins, and a lot of the staff from not only this podcast, but some of the other podcasts as well, we all get together and we actually rank our favorite Robins, so I would suggest to check that out. Last up, Jason comes back and says, I heard that Timothy Dalton is rumored to play Alfred. Plus, I like the Alfred who used to be in MI6, plus the James Bond is Alfred. You can't say that wouldn't be cool. What do you think? Is this a good choice? If not, what are your choices to play Alfred? Well, I think it is kind of a cool choice. Um, Now, honestly, I don't think Sean Connery could ever pull off being Alfred. That would just come across as very odd if Sean Connery ever did it. Timothy Dalton, he doesn't have, like, a huge resume that would, like, overshadow his role. He... To me, he's not as big as Michael Caine, but Michael Caine really doesn't ha- hasn't done like giant, humongous, giant blockbusters. He's been in a number of different movies, but he's but none of the stuff is really like super ginormous. A lot of the stuff that he did also was back in the '60s and '70s, and similar to Timothy Dalton doing stuff with James Bond in the early '80s. So I would say that it is. I think it's a possibility. I think as far as some other people to play Alfred, I honestly can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I would say that they would have to be a British actor. So I'll, I will sidestep this question and leave it to my British co-host to answer this question. The only thing I remember ever seeing Timothy Dalton in was a made-for-TV movie as a sequel to Gone with the Wind. But I... I don't know that he would be my choice to play Alfred. If I were going to pick an older British gentleman to play Alfred, I would actually, and my friend and I were tossing this around the other day, I would be looking at Sir Ian McKellen. Um, he would be my choice for it, hands down. Yeah, I think Timothy Dalton is not the right choice. He's the guy who nearly killed off the James Bond franchise. He's sort of Although there are defenders of him, he's kind of considered the uh, Joel Schumacher of the James Bond world, where he he wasn't that great. I mean, to be fair, he was coming in after, I think, Roger Moore, so he had big shoes to fill. But I don't think he would have the gravitas and the the necessary... I can't think of any better way to say it than skill to play Alfred. The one person that I think I would like to see is Michael Gambon, who's Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films. I think he would be an excellent choice for that role. Also, as well, I'd also think about Ian McDermott, who is most well known for being Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. But he also does a lot of Shakespeare, and he does a lot of very serious roles. And I think that he, again, would be able to sort of bring a a seriousness and a a sense of dignity to the role that's pretty much how Alfred would would be, to be honest. All right, so that is all the listener Q&As we have. If you guys have listener Q&As that you'd like us to talk about in the next episode... 
specifically related to Man of Steel or any of this other stuff that we've talked about this episode, be sure to leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast on the website, and as well as you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to find all the latest news related to movies, merchandise, video games, TV, and of course the comics as well. Also be sure to check out all of the editorials from all of the staff from the Batman Universe. We have, we've been producing a bunch of different things um, over the past couple weeks, so be sure to check all of that stuff that we have to offer on the website out, as well as be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe, as, as well as join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans related to everything related to the Batman Universe. And you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I mentioned, leave your comments or send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Happy end of summer. I'm British. I've not experienced any kind of summer. It's just rained. Who's the actor who played Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original trilogy? Uh, Alex, Alex Guinness. Guinness. Yeah, Alex Guinness. He could be he's good. He's dead. Yeah, quite. I know I, I, I know he's dead. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was when you said when you said the guy who plays Emperor Palpatine, I was thinking, huh, Star Wars, oh, I think. Yeah. And then I thought of him. I know he's dead. Make sure you cut that and put that in the <laughs> fine. I will. <clears throat> Actually, Joe Jinks from the Comic Cast wrote up an article on the website called Dick in Hollywood. No, that's not. That's not. That what doesn't sound good. That's. <laughs> no, that's what he asked me if he could call it, and I told him he couldn't. Uh, I think it was Dick goes to Hollywood. Yeah, it was Dick goes to Hollywood. Yeah, because he 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 sent me a message like, "Can I call this article Dick in Hollywood?" And I was like. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna work. Could have been a whole new, interesting uh, article, I think. Yeah. <laughs>